invite you to turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. We'll be reading the first uh, seven verses there together, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 7. Of course, the book of Acts, we find uh, throughout its pages uh, a chronicle of how the Lord was uh, building His church through the Acts of the Apostles, but really the Acts uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, through the Apostles, building, uh, building the church uh, through persecution. We find out earlier in the book of Acts already, the Apostles having to suffer uh, for the sake of uh, of the name of Christ, but uh, early in Acts, we find uh, Acts 2 and 4, pictures of the, uh, the early church uh, where uh, the needs of the church are all being met, and uh, people giving of themselves to, uh, to serve uh, one another in the church, but uh, not without challenge, and that's what we find in Acts chapter 6 uh, today for our scripture reading, a challenge to uh, the church. And so Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, that is, of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men, of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have this time on this Lord's Day Uh, to be fed and nourished uh, by the truth of your word. And Lord, as we are uh, reminded of of all the falsity around us, the lies around us in the world in which we live, uh, Lord, we're so thankful that on this day uh, we can come and open the scripture and know that the creator of heaven and earth, our creator, has spoken and he has spoken truth And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit today, you take the truth of these words and apply them to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if I asked you the the question, what is the key uh, to the growth of the church, uh, what might be uh, your answer? Uh, What is it that, uh, what's the key to having a, a healthy uh, church to which the Lord is uh, adding, uh, adding actual people, but also growing, growing people in faith and in love uh, for the Lord. What's the key to the to the growth of the of the church? And what is it that hinders uh, the growth of the church? Those two questions, of course, probably go together, don't they? Um, um, you know, when we answer one, 
we've answered the other. Uh, how would you answer that question? You might say, well, wait a minute, maybe a building, right? We've been thinking recently as a church body, if we, you know, we're thinking about a building, maybe a, a new building would grow the church or uh, a new location. You know, we're also thinking about maybe finding a new place to worship um, where we could all fit a little easier and have more opportunities for outreach. Maybe it's location that grows the church. Uh, maybe it's finances, right? Is it, you know, if, it, if we just have a full bank account, uh, this will be for the growth of the church. It's a good question. Uh, in the book of Acts, of course, we see the church multiplying. And um, in Acts 2 and 4, uh, as I mentioned, we find uh, the needs of, the, well, there were no needs among the members of the church because when there was a need, everybody would come together and make sure that that, that need was cared for. Uh, but here in Acts chapter 6, we find a challenge to the growing church. Uh, and as they meet that challenge, we find an answer to the question of what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus and, and what the Lord uses to grow his church. Uh, discipleship means uh, being a servant. And you might know, of course, that the word servant translates the Greek word uh, diakonos, from which we get the word deacon. The Lord uses deacons to grow his church. This is what we want to consider. First of all, uh, we want to consider the privilege of the calling of a deacon. The privilege of the calling of a deacon. Acts 6 tells us there was a problem in the early church. Some widows were being neglected. Verse 1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists uh, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There were two distinct groups, languages and cultures. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we find that the early church was being challenged by uh, hypocrisy in the church. Acts 5 is where we hear about Ananias and Sapphira. And so there's hypocrisy in the church, challenge the church. Uh, we also read in Acts 5, if you look back there, you read about how uh, there was physical persecution of the apostles, and, um, and so they were, you know, they were uh, uh, brought under the uh, authority of the council, and the council didn't want them to preach in the name of Jesus. And so there was hypocrisy as a challenge, there was persecution as a challenge. Uh, but now there's another attempt uh, within the church uh, at, uh, uh, where, where trouble is presented, and it has to do with division within the church. Uh, Jews had been uh, dispersed among the nations. Jews raised in Palestine spoke Aramaic, which was similar to Hebrew, and they were considered native Hebrews. Uh, and there were Hellenistic Jews who spoke uh, Greek, and that's why the word Hellenistic, referring to Greek. Uh, the common language of the empire. And so there was, uh, uh, there, was, there, was, there, was, there was Christians in the church of different backgrounds and, uh, and so forth. And in seeking to meet the, meet the needs that arose, uh, a growing church had growing needs, and there was a perceived neglect uh, in the church. And uh, there was a possible tension and division developing within the church. Uh, the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked. They weren't being cared for uh, the way they should. You say, well, is this really uh, an issue that, that, uh, that could be uh, divisive uh, in the church? Well, yeah, when the Bible tells us, for instance, in a couple places, that uh, the care of widows 
is actually seen uh, in the Bible as the, um, you know, as the heart of true religion, yeah, it's a big deal uh, when such is not being done in honor to the Lord. So Deuteronomy 10, 17, for instance, says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who's not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. And of course, you might uh, remember James tells us in James 1.27, this is pure and undefiled religion uh, to care for widows, orphans. Uh, so the Bible says uh, the care of uh, others, the care of widows, was the true test of Christianity. And so the, uh, this is a great problem. And so the apostles respond. They don't respond defensively, uh, trying to justify what they're doing, but they respond uh, compassionately. And they call all the disciples together and they propose a way forward. The apostles were to be devoted to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And so there was a need for another ministry. And uh, for the need, uh, God would supply the men. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so the apostles' primary duty, responsibility, was prayer and the ministry uh, of the Word. And so there's this growing need in the church, and so they don't want to neglect that. They don't want to neglect the the preaching, the teaching ministry of the Word or or prayer. Uh, And so their proposal is to to, to set aside uh, men from their midst, um, as verse 2 tells us, uh, to serve tables or to uh, wait on tables. Uh, but the word to serve there, to serve tables, comes from the same root word, diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. The diaconate, deacons, uh, is a serving ministry. It is, at its heart, all about being a servant, demonstrating love of neighbor. Later in the Bible, 1 Timothy 3, we find the qualifications for the offices of elder and and deacon. But here in Acts 6 is where we first find a division of duties, delegation of responsibility, a distinction of, of ministries. Apostles were to be devoted, that is, give their full time to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this task would come to be associated with the elders of the church and pastors in the church. Other men, we find here, were to be set aside to serve tables or minister at tables or deacon tables uh, is how we could translate it. And this task would become associated with the office of deacon. Deacons, of course, are not typically waiters today, um, but they demonstrate Christ's love in other ways, aid to the poor, visiting the sick, uh, helping Christian parents, for instance, provide uh, Christian education to their children, making it possible, visiting widows and, and widowers. But here's the thing. Notice that even though there's a distinction of duties, both the apostles and these other men are called to, to ministry, to service in the church. In verse 1, the daily distribution 
of food is really the daily ministry of food. Uh, In verse 2, to serve tables is actually ministering at table or deaconing at table. Uh, It's the same word that's used of the apostles in verse 4 when they speak of reference to their ministry or serving of the word. It's ministry. In other words, the apostles are not saying here that to be an apostle is a high calling, but to serve tables is below us. They're, saying, uh, they're not saying we're happy to be apostles and preach the word, uh, but that ministering and serving business, well, that's not our cup of tea. Uh, they're not saying, you know, well, to be an apostle is an important job, uh, but this less important business of serving others can be handled by someone else. No, they're not denigrating the, the call of a servant. Servanthood is a high and holy calling. Why? Because as, we, we, as I read for you at the beginning, uh, to display to the world as a servant what you're doing, you're displaying to the world that the church of Jesus Christ, in imitation of its Savior and Lord, has come not to be served, but to serve. It's a great privilege, the calling of a deacon, to imitate the master to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege uh, not to be neglected. Now, immediately, you're asking yourself the question, why should I get all excited, uh, Tim and Jonah, um, you know, and the rest of us? Why should I get all excited and fired up about a life, a life which and calling which is dedicated to service? Now, that doesn't sound, that doesn't seem to sound like a, a way to... Um, uh, you know, a way to riches or a way to, uh, you know, the, uh, the plaudits uh, of the world. Well, this is why. We read it already this morning. Uh, this is why it's a privilege. And Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave, servant of all. So notice so simply that the biblical idea here is that to be a servant as a disciple of Jesus is a great privilege. It is a great calling to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian disciple does not see himself as one who lords it over the people of God and seeing God's people as my servants, but rather the biblical idea, friends, is that a Christian is one who understands that I am here to serve others. And deacons set the example for us. Um, Notice that greatness, Jesus said, means being a servant of all. Servant without distinction. Now, this ministry of service, of course, is not limited to deacons. Uh, This ministry of service is what being a Christian and a disciple uh, is all about. Well, how do we know that? Well, because when the Apostle Paul uh, talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, this is what he says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, all kinds of different ways to serve. Um, but the same Lord. And uh, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All sorts of varieties, says Paul, 
of service. Varieties of, the word is ministries, the word is diakonos. There's all sorts of varieties of deaconing and serving other people. And we're all given those gifts for the common good. So you have to ask yourself this morning, all of us, what is your act of service? What is your act of ministering? What is the variety of service, of deaconing, that uh, you have been given by the Lord and that you are acting out faithfully in the midst of God's people? Varieties. You know, I was growing up when my mom said, uh, we're going to have ice cream. Well, well, that was rare in itself. But when we had ice cream, I knew it was going to be vanilla. And I was thankful. And then, as I got older, mom said ice cream. I thought, oh, is it going to be Neapolitan? That is vanilla, uh, strawberry, or chocolate? One of three? And then, of course... Well, about that same time, I watched TV commercials about Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors. What is that? You know, last year, Lisa and I and the family went to Virginia. We went to the Island Island Creamery, uh, award-winning ice cream place on Chincoteague Island in Virginia. And all the varieties. Uh, Apparently, there's there's over a thousand different varieties of ice cream today. Not that you'd want to eat all of them, necessarily. But nonetheless, we recently painted our bathroom, and, uh, and, a th- and, and we thought, well, what color? Well, let's go to Home Depot. Can't be that difficult. So then, well, maybe green. Okay. There's like 100 greens. Okay. Well, Lisa will do it. She's got the end. Um, 100 yellows, a variety. And so, the Bible says, in the church. Oh, boy. There are, there are varieties of of service. There are so many ways you can show the love of Christ to meet the needs of others. Varieties of people, varieties of gifts, varieties of service, all for the common good. This means that we must understand, friends, that being a servant of Christ and serving others is a privilege. Oh, it's not a burden to represent Christ. I've come across Christians and office bearers in the church, who seem to give all possible indications that to serve Christ is the worst thing that has ever happened to them. Everything is a a burden. Church, burden. Caring for others? (laughs) I remember, uh, I won't say which, I remember one church. You know, being calling up, someone was you know having a baby, and so we're you know calling up. Oh, who can you know who can make a meal? And uh, remember one one call. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's such a burden to serve. Um, I've heard office bears in the past express the desire they can't wait to be done serving. I wish it could be all done. It's as if they were saying, "I can't wait." You know, to be done with this burdensome calling of God upon my life. I wish He hadn't called me. I wish I could give up serving Christ. I don't want to serve Him anymore. That's what they're saying. Because, you see, to serve the king, to represent Christ, is a privilege. If the president of the United States and his wife decide, okay, we're going to go on a trip through California, we're uh, going to pray down Redlands Boulevard next week, next Saturday. You say, I might go. 
I might go. I might go. I might go, and I think I'd do that. And, um, you know, and if you were there and you happen to see some elderly people at the back and, and all sorts of people in front, you might try to help them get to the front so they could see properly. And if, uh, you know, someone charged out of the crowd and ran at the president's wife, uh, you, might, yeah, you, might, you might do something about it. You might go out there and, and uh, try to protect her. But let's say, the, uh, let's say the secretary of the White House calls you on the phone the day before the parade and says, the president is looking uh, for a few good folks to serve on his staff uh, to ensure that all are able to enjoy the parade, prevent any disturbances. He wants you to serve. You would treat your attendance at that parade a little differently. You don't come and go as you please. You don't care or not care according to your whims. You're there because you've been called by the president. He's given you the task And the Bible says, friends, every Christian, every disciple is a servant called by God to serve. And likewise, elders and deacons are called by God to serve. Oh, why? Why is it such a privilege? Well, this is a passage of Scripture in Colossians 3 that just kind of blows your mind. Colossians 3.22 says this, Bondservants, or that is slaves, which is what the word means, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Uh, Slaves, whatever you do, work heartily uh, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. And then it says this, uh, you are serving the Lord Christ. It doesn't say to slaves in the Roman Empire, okay, dream this up in your mind. Pretend now, pretend now that you're serving Jesus. (laughs) You know, when you're preparing a meal for a fellowship luncheon at church, just try really hard, pretend that this is for the Lord. Just just make yourself believe it. No, it doesn't say that. It says to slaves in the the Roman Empire as a Christian, as a disciple, uh, in what you're doing. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're either serving him poorly, unfaithfully, uh, as a burden, or you are serving faithfully, joyfully, uh, thankfully for the privilege to be called a Christian, follower of Christ demonstrating the love of Christ to others. And of course, isn't that what Jesus says, right? Matthew 25, sheep and the goats, uh, as you did it to one of the least of these, says Jesus, not imagine, but he says, you did it to me, either in ignoring them or in serving them, you say. You did it to me. What a privilege. It's Christ you are serving. Tim, Jonah, and all of us, you see. So there's the privilege of the deacon. Secondly, let's consider the passion of a deacon. What are the qualifications for a servant? Uh, What should a servant, what should a deacon be passionate about? Uh, And as deacons are to lead the way in ministries of uh, mercy in this church, Uh, What is a deacon uh, to look like? What does Acts 6 teach us? What is the qualification for these servants here? Well, in a modern church, you might think if you were to, if the question here is about serving tables, 
Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe the qualifications for a deacon is uh, he's got to know uh, you know he's got to know how to hold a plate or um, something like that. He's got to know how to make a table. He's got to be good with a tablecloth. Um, or in a modern church today, a deacon, well, he's got to know his numbers, right? I mean, he's got to be an accountant or something because he's got to handle the money. I mean, that's the most important thing. Uh, they have to know money and, and banking and, and stuff like that. They've got to be able to drive down to the bank and deposit some cash in the bank. And, you know, uh, so they've got to have a license. Um, you know, other than that, you're good to go. No. No. Um, actually, the, the Bible, well, listen to what the Bible says, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. What do you need to be a servant or a deacon? Well, here, to be of good repute, that is, to be well-known by all, that is, to be well-known by, uh, by all as one who is full of the Spirit and full of faith, full of wisdom. In order to be a servant of Christ in this capacity, that is, to faithfully serve widows and make sure they're cared for with the love of Jesus Christ, what are the apostles inspired of God concerned about? Well, the servant who will serve in this ministry of mercy is not a spiritual amateur. Uh Uh-uh. He's not a spiritual wimp. You know, sometimes you're given the impression that the elders in the church are the ones who are supposed to be the spiritual ones, and, you know, the deacons are the practical ones. They can handle the funds. No, no, no. Faith-filled, spirit-filled, wisdom-filled, rock-solid trust in Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled, which means, of course, someone who has the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And notice these men are set apart with the laying on of hands. That is, they're set apart for ministry. And that's not some kind of you know, superstitious transferal of spiritual power. They're already recognized as men full of the Holy Spirit. And so their hands are laid, they're set apart. Even as Tim and Jonah were set apart this morning. Symbolically set apart for this ministry. Oh boy, the deacon is not a spiritual pygmy, he's a spiritual powerhouse. The deacon, or those who serve as ministers of mercy, are not compared to the apostles here as a novice in spiritual things compared to one mature in the faith. The deacon doesn't swim in the kiddie pool, and the elders are in the deep end. No, no, no. On the contrary, 1 Timothy 3.9 says, a deacon holds to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It could be translated, holds to the deep truths of the faith. A deacon, a servant, holds to the mystery of the faith. Now, that's not talking about your faith. That's talking about the mystery of the faith, what we believe. And so this means that it's not only the elders who've read the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, but deacons too. And in fact, all servants, which is what a deacon is, all servants, that is, all disciples, all Christians should hold the mystery of the faith. Hold it tightly. Know it. Love it. And be passionate about God's truth. Passionate about the truth. Full of faith. Full of wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus Christ does not beg us 
to serve him out of our goodwill. It's not as if God is somehow looking down from heaven saying, please, will somebody serve me? Please? Do you need some more incentive than my son? No, he calls us to serve him. Those whose hearts burn with love and passion for him. And he calls all kinds. Isn't it wonderful here? Notice all the names are Greek listed here uh, in, in, in verse 6. Uh, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, so someone who came to Judaism and came to faith in Christ. But obviously he's a, he's a Gentile. And so the gospel is already going beyond the Jews to the Gentiles here. He calls friends by his sovereign grace. He equips by his word and spirit. And he gives us a heart that is willing to serve in this privileged calling. The last thing this morning. So we talked about the privilege of the calling, the passion of the calling of the deacon. And uh, what about a portrait of the calling of a deacon? What do do we have as servants of Christ, disciples of Christ? What What do we have to look to that we might follow? Well, of course, the first portrait we get here of a deacon, of a servant of Christ, is right here in this passage of Stephen. Stephen. Remember Stephen? The next chapter, he will be uh, the first uh, recorded martyr for the faith. Later, in this passage, we read of, um, uh, we, we read of Philip. Um, these, these, were, these were faithful servants of the Lord. These are, these are portraits. I may have shared this with you before, I can't remember, but the story is told that when, when uh, during World War II, the Netherlands, when they were occupied by the Nazis, I still can't believe this story. They're occupied by the Nazis. The deacons of the Reformed Church assumed the care for the politically persecuted, supplying food and providing secret refuge. The deacons would organize that. Kind of like our missionaries are organizing that right now in the Ukraine. And so realizing what was happening, apparently the Nazis decreed that in the Netherlands, the office of deacon should be eliminated. No more deacons, said the Nazis. No more servants in the church, loving and caring for... No more caring for the needs of others. We don't want this office of deacon when we're in charge. And, but here's, that, that's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is this. The Reformed Synod, or the General Assembly, got together on July 17, 1941, and this is what they said. Hang on. This is what they said. Whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hand on diaconia, that is, serving, lays hands, said the Reformed Church in the Netherlands, lays hands on worship, we will not eliminate this office. And apparently... Apparently, the Nazis backed down. Friends, there's much diaconal work going on, as I said, right now in the Ukraine. Our missionaries here on Anya Hakkabord, gathering food, water, supplies, renting space so that they might serve others in need with the love of Jesus Christ. Now, hold on now. Is serving the name of Christ that important? Would you stand up to the Nazi regime? 
When I stand up to the Nazi regime to uphold your calling as a servant of Christ, I will not give it up. I've been called to it. It's such a privilege. Stephen died as a faithful servant. Others beside the Nazis have seen this connection between wanting to, here's the thing, wanting to suppress the church and the need to suppress her service in the name of Christ. Under the Roman Emperor Julian the Apostate in the 4th century, the Roman Empire tried to create an imperial system of welfare to outserve the church. So that they'd be in charge, it failed. Communist Russia under Stalin banned charitable activities by the church. So that, why? So that people would look to the state for help rather than to Christ and his people. And we ask, well, wait a minute. Why would you want to stamp out the office of deacon, ministers of mercy in our midst, showing the love of Christ? Why would that be so important? Well, verse 7 tells us why. And so after these, these men are set aside, To make sure there's no widow uncared for. Listen to what the Bible says. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. At the beginning of this passage, the disciples were increasing greatly. Uh, After they meet this need, uh, bring on serving representatives of Christ, ministers of mercy in their midst, the Bible says the word of God continued to increase. And, uh, and the disciples multiplied greatly. That's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, it, the growth of the church here, friends, is characterized as the growth of the word of God. And what's happening? Well, simply, apostles are praying and preaching the word of God. And others are serving in the ministry of mercy faithfully caring for the needs of others. The church, through her members, is bringing the gospel in word and deed. And the Bible says uh, she multiplies greatly. And the word increased. Actually, it means the word uh, was enlarged. In In other words, the word became bigger and bigger and bigger in the lives of God's people. And in their ministry and service to one another. Friends, at the end of the day, the Christian disciple is to be a servant of the greatest servant of all, drawing others to enlist in his service, you see. For he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why have you come to sovereign grace? Have you come to sovereign grace to be served? This isn't the place for you. No, no. Because our master has told us that through the ministry of mercy, through these deacons who've been set aside today, they're all going to be encouraging us, you see, not to be here to be served ourselves, but that we might, in imitation of our master, Serve one another, you see. May that be so, for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord 
Jesus Christ, the deacon, the servant. Lord, a, a, a portrait that, uh, that has no blemishes. We thank you that uh, you give us uh, men, frail men, vessels of clay, and yet men that you set aside, that we might follow them in service as they follow Christ. Oh, help us, Lord, that we might know that you've called us as servants with whatever uh, varieties of deaconing you've given to us. And there's so many that we might meet the needs of others and so then bring glory to your name and glory to our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.